Welcome to another episode of The Decade Podcast. I am Melker Larsen and I'm joined by my co-host Jonathan Angel. Together, we are on a curious journey to explore holistic sustainability and find answers to the question, how on earth can we live together? We dive deep into inspiring stories from champions of sustainability and more, all with the aim of sparking thoughts, action and work that will make our planet a better place for all especially during this decade of action. Today's guest is none other than Bjorn Ferry, a former Olympic champion and an advocate for sustainability. He joins us to discuss his latest book, written in a unique diary form. We'll explore why Bjorn shows this format and the powerful message he aims to convey and how his journey to a fossil-free lifestyle has been a curious adventure into the future. We approach Bjorn's perspective on the future where he leads with curiosity instead of anxiety and why he believes that we need a collective long-term story. We'll also dive into his views about fulfilling our human needs and finding contentment in life and why his dream place to live is Sturman. We also explore how going fossil-free has its similarities to just learning new habits. Björn is also a forest manager and we talk about how biodiversity and productivity can be balanced as we manage our natural systems. We'll even get a lesson about the free-toed woodpecker and its role as an indicator of healthy Swedish forest. You will also get to hear reflections from Björn about his role as a celebrity within the sustainability movement. This is a conversation that you don't want to miss, so stay tuned for the full episode. Here we go. Welcome to this episode of the Decade Podcast. Today we are joined from the north of Sweden by Björn Ferry. How are you today, Björn? I'm fine. It's raining, it's dark, winter is coming in Swedish Lapland. Nice. Yep, and it's going to be a long one, but uh, glad to hear you are uh, well, even in the rainy conditions. So we recently just had the pleasure of uh, reading your new book, and if we translate that with what sounds a bit like Swinglish, uh, it would be called How the Heck Should We Have It? Sounds funny in English. And you used to be a world-renowned elite uh, biathlon skier. How would you describe yourself now? Are you considered an author? What, uh, what, are, what titles do you carry nowadays? <laughs> I'm many things. I'm a former yeah. Olympic champion in biathlon, but also work as an expert commentator in biathlon in, in the winter period. But then I'm also a forester. I'm really into forestry. I'm a landowner, so this is what I work with primarily in the summertime. And I'm also a private researcher. <laughs> I published a few scientific papers on, on birds mm -hmm. and forestry. So mm -hmm. I'm interested in many things. And I'm also an ambassador for green living, a sustainable future, and a sustainable mm -hmm. lifestyle. So this is my main interest. Yeah. So we'll have lots of things to dig into and uh, get curious about today. But if we start with the book, can you tell us uh, and to the listeners just a little bit what it's about? And I think the format is quite interesting how you allow people, because it's in diary form, uh, a year's diary. Is there 
any reason for why you want to write books like like this in this format? Yeah, I like to read those kind of books <laughs> by myself. Mm. And I also wrote a book nine years ago, but that was mostly about my sports career. But it was also my diary and the li- how the life is about as an elite sportsman. So then I, nine years later, I thought it was, it was time to start writing again. I have been writing my diary since gymnasium, but not all the time, but in periods. So I think it's a good way of learning learning yourself and so and for me it's also about sharing to others and the form of diary then it's also that you you write the same day something has happened so i respond to daily news what i think about persons i meet discussions i have what i do and then it's that's different from looking back in time and saying what happened a year ago and, and write about that you get a feeling of now and that's that's interesting also in history as if you find an old diary from the 17th century or something it's really exciting because then you get the sense of how was the life really for that person at that time yeah for sure and uh, it's um, it's quite interesting to read from that very honest perspective of uh, being allowed into your thoughts and also the quick twist and turns from talking about uh, woodpeckers and forestry management one second and then the next one there's a screaming baby and then there's a biathlon championships going on which represents real life and uh, do you have any sense of um, I guess when you become a celebrity that uh, I guess there's not so many paparazzis up in Sturman but still do you have any sense of like wanting to protect your privacy or don't you feel that at all? Not so much. I don't think I had so much to protect. <laughs> and, and and writing a diary, I had as an athlete, I had a, a blog. So I wrote about my training and competitions and so on. But then, if you read the the, the comments, then it starts to become more scary <laughs> when you got mm. the criticism and everything. And then ah, mm. so then I, then it was not so fun anymore. And this is still today. I don't use social media a lot. It's rarely I write something, and that's I think it's good for my mental health. <laughs> so now I can write alone; nobody knows anything, and then you just mm. publish a book, and then you have the reactions for a couple of weeks. But then you can go back to silence again and, and focus on your own own thinking, and I don't think so much about all the negatives. Mm. Yeah, I see. So as we as we mentioned here a couple of minutes ago, it's a it's a nice mix of things that you talk about in your book. But looking a bit more on the specific goal, or is there a specific um, what's your why of conveying this book? Is it a specific goal or a message that you aim to convey with the book? Personally, I'm really curious about the future. I want to see how can we live together in the future. So me and my family, we have a, a family goal of becoming a fossil-free family in the year 2025. It's just two years from now. And we started this vision back in 2015, inspired by the Paris Accord, the Paris Agreement. That, that was my thought from the beginning. If, if the whole world is going to end fossil fuels in the mid of this century, then it has to be possible for individuals or individual countries to reach that goal much earlier. 
Mm. So that I'm curious. I'm not so much afraid of the future, or I don't feel ashamed or anger. I'm I'm curious about the future. So this is what I want to share my thoughts, and I examine it. Is there a sustainable lifestyle that that you can defend morally? Do we have a path that we can follow to the future that will be perhaps even better than mm. what we're experiencing right now? Mm-hmm. Did you find that path? I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> I'm still in- investigating it. Yeah. But for me, I've tried now. It's like eight years, and I cut my own personal emissions with more than eighty percent, mm. and I still have a great life. I travel a lot. I eat good food. I have friends. <laughs> I do many things I want, but it's still it's much more sustainable than my former lifestyle. Mm. But I stopped flying almost seven years ago. Mm. And I bought the electric car really early back in 2016. And I I don't work as much as I could do, but I have more time. Mm. And more time reading, more time with my own thoughts, with my friends, with my family. So I think it's, in many ways, it is a better life. And I think if it would be more like status to have time, if time in itself, would be status that, that, that I think could be something for the future mm. instead of just trying to get more and more and more travel further and further and further and yeah. yeah have more things but I'm not sure it could be a way yeah exactly it's very very interesting and I think that you talk about something very important to have this mindset of being curious and leaning forward and that was something that I picked up on reading your book and hearing you talk that you're driven by curiosity and and not the anxiety um and i think that's that's a mindset that is really important right now when we that there is so many things that we don't know what what does it mean then to have a sustainable lifestyle in in the transition that we're currently in right now but it sounds easy then. Okay, I, I just want to be curious about the future. But how is it actually that you... Is it anything that you do that enables you to be curious about the future and not be afraid of, of losing th- things? What is it that is driving you forward to be curious? I think it's it's my personality. <laughs> people are mm. different. That's yeah. just to accept that people are different. And for me, it's quite easy to have a longer time frame, both backwards and forward. Mm. If you're interested in, in 2050, then, then you can look beyond what's happening today or tomorrow or next week. Mm. Mm. But most people, they're really, really focused on what's happening right now in their own life. And not so interested in the past or in the future. And that's mm. also all the news, all the politics. It's a, it has a short time frame. Mm. But if you move that long distance, of course, then you're not afraid of the future. If we have, if you if you live shorter, if more babies die earlier, if, if you have more wars, that, that that's not good a good thing. But if you know history, <laughs> it's still it's been even worse. So I'm mm. not so afraid of it. The the life in itself will not be meaning meaningless. It's still meaningful. I think yeah. people in Ukraine, they have a meaningful life. It's much harder yeah. than a couple of years ago, but 
it's still meaningful. So in that regard, I'm not afraid of things perhaps in the future will be much worse. Mm. But some people, they oh, there, there's no point of leaving. I don't want to have kids. No, I don't mm. want to live in the future. But mm. if I could make a pick or die, then I rather will be living in a cave with Neanderthals. <laughs> mm. It would be much nicer. For me, it, it's a lot about time frame. Mm. And if if someone is listening now and like, oh shit, I really recognize myself. I'm just thinking about the the week that is now what is happening here. But what Bjorn is talking about, this sounds oh, that sounds great. I also wanna enable myself to think more long term. Do you have any practical tips to someone that could go about? Is it thinking about okay, what do I actually want in the future or how could someone go about to think more long term? Perhaps we lost that capability. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because if you're religious persons, they just follow a book that someone humans wrote like centuries ago. <laughs> and then you know, then you have everything in the future and you can do a lot now because you think you will have another life in the future. But now we ask the question, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want now? And then you have a million different stories. So I think the easiest way is to start believing in a story. But it's mm. perhaps a good idea that that we believe in a story that is rooted in, in science in some way that will enhance the chance of a better future for everybody. Mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if the old stories are, are the best one. But of course, we can find some kind of truth in them as well. I'm... I don't believe in God. I'm not a religious person. But when I look and I see they can sacrifice sacrifice something now because they want to achieve higher goals in the future. But like people in Sweden, we don't believe in anything. I don't know what we believe in. The market or, so, or something. <laughs> and it's so short term. And then you start losing like the meaning of your life. What's the point with everything? evolution is no point with just being here so you have to find a story and for, for me that's the story about the future also, I, i'm really inspired by the paris agreement the whole world we're like in tears and we, we hug each other we, we want to make everything so that we can have prosperity in, in the future and then in in mm. sweden we have this story about sweden could be the first fossil free economy in, in the in the world and then we start to adapt a new technology. We produce steel in a new way and everything. I think that's a good story. As many people as possible and companies and everybody, when they join this story, then you have the power that, okay, we do this together. But we can have exactly. different uh, beliefs in how we will do it in the best way. But if you just focus on this story, that's the easiest way. <laughs> then you know mm-hmm. when you do right things and you know when it goes backwards. For sure. But if you have no story, then it's then you don't know what do I do next. Yep. Yep. Mm. I think that's a very important point to have a common narrative and common story to guide us, even if no one knows for certain the exact way that's going to play out, but the bigger overarching story tells us a direction. And... Uh, you, you talk a bit about this in the book and you also connect that to, well, if you're a nationalist, well, this could be a good story for, for us to feel like, oh, we want to make 
Sweden the first uh, fossil-free nation, and uh, that could perhaps draw many different people from very many different perspectives together to towards something that okay, the environmentalist likes the notion, the uh, hardcore nationalists, which maybe don't care so much about uh, um, the environment, but they care about Sweden being great. It can be a good narrative, and I also think these types of stories. One important point of them is, as you say, that they bring people together towards something common. Because um, without that, it's it's uh, it's hard. And you also find, I think that's one thing that religion has served many people with having a sense of uh, camaraderie with and sense of being connected to something bigger than just themselves, to being connected to community and the collective outcome of that community. Um, I think that's maybe something we can learn from, even if we are secular in today's society, that we can have a common narrative. Yeah, but, but it's like it's much more diffi- difficult now because it's a lot of narratives and it's about power and, and influence and everything. Mm. And and this green story, it's like hijacked in some way from the environmentalists and they are always a few percent and they are the stupids now in Sweden. But I think it's important that Everybody could join and understand that we have to do something about it. It could be different stories, but exactly like you said, if you have a common narrative that we can agree would be a better future, that trust is better than distrust. If we can agree on that, okay, then we can start working. Absolutely. I want to tie it back to uh, to your own personal life there because it seems that you have found out a lot about what you value and that you have prioritized that, for example, having free time. And one connection that is uh, with a prior episode we did uh, with Johan uh, Roinen and Gustav Skarsgård, where they talk about their process of healing from addiction, that uh, they have this understanding now of which human needs they went through difficult routes and through longer routes to achieve, whereas maybe they wanted connection to other people maybe they wanted to feel more happiness and they went to in their case uh, alcohol uh, for for that and um and there's a parallel there to maybe we go for status or we go for consumption in order to feel content with our lives and uh, how has that process been for you have you always known what has been important and like is there anything you could help by telling people how they find out about more which shortcuts they can take to fulfilling their needs and being content. Interesting. Because uh, I think I also have this feeling of it's easy to be addicted to something. If you just mm. take social media, mm. I don't use it much, but it's still, I open Instagram uh-huh, and I look. Then it comes a clip with Roger Federer. Okay. Then I continue scrolling mm. and a nice cat. And then after a while, I realize now I spend 45 minutes here mm. and I haven't learned anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really try to have a discipline. Like at first, read books, read daily newspapers, listen to interesting podcasts as a long form mm. formats. This is how you learn. Mm. And that's something that stays inside you. That you, Then you start growing. But if you just spend your time scrolling your, your feed, 
Then you, when you stop, you feel empty and alone, and you need these likes. You start hunting things that it's not it's not important at all. But if you have a nice discussion with your partner or a friend, that's always much more interesting, and you learn something. So if we can have one advice, just stop using social media. Read books again. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would be a, a huge difference. Mm. And go to sources that there's a lot of people who know a lot about things. Start to follow them. Learn about history and then get a better sense of the future. But if you're, oh, if you're too, fo- too focused on this social media, the short term, if it's alcohol mm. or likes, it's kind of the mm. same things yeah Mm, for sure and there's also parts where you have figured out that life for you in Stiuruman is is your dream life and uh, I think many people maybe in different parts and with different lifestyle uh, like I'm for example sitting in Estomalm in Stockholm now and they see I'm I'm being a bit prejudiced here but that they think of the alone times and long dark winters and slow pace and say like no i don't want that Uh, how do you think we can uh, bring uh, the more people along to to narratives and that uh, maybe find their versions of being uh, sustainable stewards of the planets i think it's important for me i know it's a great place for me but the other small communities around, I don't want to live there, but because but I know that they're quite similar to Storuma, so it has to be something else. But this is the place where I was born. My parents still live here. I have my roots here. I know all the small roads. I know the lakes. I know where the best fishing places are. Mm. And this is, that's kind of the history. That's my route. And that's important, I think, for most of the people. Mm. But now they have their parents like 10 hours in that direction and their grandparents away and they have a girlfriend. It's like it doesn't fit together anymore. Mm. But I don't know how, how you solve that. It, it's, it's kind of, oh, and everybody, they have different dreams. If I, would, if I come from Stockholm, if, if this is my old neighborhood, so I, I probably will feel the same in Östermalm. That I feel in Storuman now. It's not that Storuman is a better place than other places, but you want to feel connected to the persons, the, the history, and therefore also the future. If nothing matters, then nothing matters. Matters. <laughs> I think that's also storytelling. I start mm, to research sure. research my old history, my my old relatives, and I have a connection to the to the Samish people. And I also have connection to the first farmers in this region in, in Sweden. And just a few generations closer to me, then they married and got kids. And that's also a story about the history and the future and about trust and distrust. Mm. And if you had collaboration, cooperation, this is the, the path forward. It has always been the strength of humans all around the world. So we probably in ourselves know what is right to do, but it's hard, hard in, in the short term. It, if something happens, then you react like an old ape because we are also apes. But if you just take it easy for a while and back to the time frame that you look more forward, 
then it's easier to make the right decisions also right now, I think. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And uh, now I got the, the parallel in my head where, where we we also talked a little bit about your the, the vision of being a fossil-free family by 2025. And you started this mission towards this vision in, in 2015. And so you did exactly what you what you talked about. You you set a vision that is in the future, ten years ahead, and then you kind of backcast to where you were in 2015. And okay, so what changes am I about to do to be able to develop towards that that vision? Um, you also mentioned that you've cut your personal emissions by eighty percent. I'm curious to hear more about this overall process of changing things in your life in order to become more sustainable and and take tangible step towards that vision. Has it been that you feel that you then sacrificed a lot of things or is it how has the reward been in then taking tangible steps towards the vision? But at first it's always difficult. So I have never gone by train in my whole life. <laughs> it was a big step mm. just to book the first trip and how do you do it and everything. Mm. But after a couple of years, then it's a habit. Then it's easy. So for now, now it's not a problem anymore. But it's like with habits, what you eat, that's more difficult to just change over a day. Because this is this is what I like. This is how I do it. I don't know how to cook this kind of new food. So then you have to learn again. But when you learn something new after a while, oh, then it's easy again. But the most valuable thing for me, that's about time. I have more time reading, more time thinking, more time talking with my friends and also new people. That's the best with going by train. You go to the restaurant in the bistro in the train, you have a beer, and then you start talking with a stranger. That could be the, the best conversation in a month. <laughs> but for most people, they, they, they never experience this. If they only work with the work and they go by this flight and all the work, 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 they have no time reading. So the best politicians or the best researchers, they, they just work. They have no really time to think, lay back, read things that they didn't know that they could read or learn something about. So for me, that's it's been really rewarding <laughs> mm -hmm. for me as a person but of course this is ah i realized that this is important for me if, if you're a curious person you need to have time to read that's really interesting actually and i thought to myself that i've been rethinking in terms of productivity and i was thinking about okay so what if you would have been the person who worked work 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 then never had new uh, interesting experience that probably would have made a big impact on how interesting your book was if it were just no new impulses and just the same things uh, over and over again mm. and in the, in this case i'm drawing a parallel that okay the, the book represents your life and if if the book is interesting probably so is is the life of this person mm -hmm. and uh, i'm also thinking to myself when i reflect on having some type of narrative of being having to perform and doing well that um, if I measure myself on the metric of how many hours I work, that's often not really true 
compared to how I see my quality of work or because I can work 10 hours uh, a day and be quite tired while doing it. And if I'm doing the type of work that requires my peak mental state and complexity thinking and curiosity, then uh, maybe having gone for a two hour walk before would have been the most productive thing I could ever do. Yeah. Yeah, most ideas you have when you you travel or fishing or sleeping, <laughs> it's hard to just sit in front of your computer and work out great ideas. It needs time. Mm. I want to bring us into uh, into the forest, mm. um, metaphorically, uh, where you spend a lot of time being a, a forest manager a lot nowadays, and you work both with the trees, but also I see a lot of what you write in taking in more accounts than just one metric into your forest management. And uh, I want to start us off with um, one thing you wrote that I found very powerful that uh, you mentioned that, okay, when you walk in the forest, <clears throat> you know a lot of different species and you you see them. You uh, And uh, we had a, someone previously who mentioned that, okay, when well, you know more about uh, biodiversity, which species live here, it's like coming to a party where you know the people. Uh, there's people you say hi to. But if you don't feel that connection to, to nature and to the species, you, it's just it can feel less connected to you. And have you always had this connection with the forest or has it grown on you as you have grown? I, I, I've always had it, but it's, it's growing and it's, it's still growing. And I... And most of the things I still don't know. I perhaps just recognize one third of all the birds still <laughs> in Sweden. But I've been, when I was a sportsman, a biathlete, I've been training in the forest always and biking and running. So I have, I have a connection to it. But it's hard to care about something you don't know anything about. How can you care about a bird that you don't know exists? So the more I learn, <laughs> the more interesting it gets and the more I, I care about it. So that's why I think it's so important to keep learning about everything, about nature, other people, other communities, other languages, other cultures. It's, that's what brings it together, that you have this common respect that I'm not a satellite in the world. I can do what I want, what I dream about. But then you see, okay, I have, I affect this person or this bird or this community in a negative way, uh, then you have to recalibrate and think, hmm, how can I do this better? I still want to do this, but I can do it with less negative impact. And this is what I'm interested mm -hmm. in, in all land use. So if it's agriculture or forestry, we need food. We need wood pro products for the people in the world. We're still growing. We will be 10 billion people in about 50 years. So we need to be efficient. But we cannot completely don't care about the other life in the world. That's also important for us in the long run. We have to have two, two thoughts in mind at the same time. Most of the environmentalists, they say protect everything, protect, protect. Yeah, but you need to be efficient also. Otherwise, we will have no rainforest in Africa in 50 years. So that's mm. why I'm interested in, in this I don't know how you say it, to find the sweet spot that we do this thing good enough. 
That's what I strive for. Not perfect, mm. but good enough. You also said in the book uh, that uh, in terms of like managing the forest and actually being there and cutting some things and letting some things grow, that it reminded me of um, actually one of our teachers was telling us about the Aboriginal people in Australia, how they, they used to light a lot of fires per day to manage the forest and to maybe so that they would be as efficient as possible for them as humans, but also in ways that didn't harm other life or at least not harm it in such a way that diminished the system um and i see traces of this behavior in your forest management as well um you said something if if we do nothing everything eventually turns into spruce uh, and is that what we want so tell us more about some of the things that you do in and maybe especially the places with high nature values what do you do in those forest areas to both maybe have both some terms of um, values for humans, but also having protection for nature values. Uh, but that's interesting because I think it's really important that we that we set aside that we, we protect the most valuable areas for biodiversity. But then the the long and then you have to look at the history in just this particular area. If you have the biodiversity in this area, that it's depend on what happens like 150 years ago, because then you have a big fire. That's why it looks like this today. <laughs> so if you just mm. wait and do nothing, we protect it, and we have no more fires, then it's eventually just then we will just have spruce, like you said. So what I've done, then I go and and like hurting all the spruces and and save the the aspen and the birches and so so they can live longer because that's important for the birds and it's also like fun for humans to to go in there and, and look and visit this biodiversity and see these old big leaf trees and and so on so we, sometimes we have to manage the protected areas to preserve the biodiversity but sometimes it's the best just to let it be and sometimes you have to put this area on fire again so it's 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 a difficult task. I think we probably thought it was easier earlier on. We just protect it, and then it's then it's fine. But then we see, hmm, everything changes, <laughs> and it's not. Mm. That's also it's not natural to just save it here. It comes storms, fires with a regular interval. It's really difficult to see. We think nature is like a a photo but it's not it's always changing but it's also back to this with time frame it's on a longer time frame so we don't we don't see it we see it as a picture but if you if you take a picture every decade or every 30 years then you would see oh it's dramatically shifting all the time mm, that's very interesting and uh gives me a lot to think about and um in terms of like doing things for uh, for the birds, um, you you write a lot about your interest about the the free-toed woodpecker, as we've learned now that it's called in English. And at first, I gotta say, I was like, why is he going on about this woodpecker so much? But it makes more and more sense the more I can also see the connections. It and maybe maybe I'm wrong about this, but it, I feel like maybe this is an indicator species of. Um, how some, um, how the the values of the forest, what the circumstances for life, that particular forest are providing, it maybe for more than just this woodpecker. Yeah, and I don't want to place words in your mouth, kids, but can you tell us why are you 
specifically so interested in, in this bird? Well, if I put it as short as possible, then it would be, if we can, in Sweden, if we can have the three-toed woodpecker in the same areas like we have today, you know, 50 years in the future or 100 years in the future, then we probably also have a sustainable forestry. So that's like the shortest way of explaining it. If you can preserve and protect the three-toed woodpecker in the big parts of Sweden, then many other species also will be there because it's like an umbrella species we talk about it. If you have the three-toed woodpecker, then you have a lot of other things as well. So it's, it's, not, it's not perfect. You, you cannot just say one species and think, ah, then everything else is, is good. But if you would just pick one in Sweden, perhaps the three-third woodpecker would be a good candidate. Mm. So that's why it's interesting. That we need to use the forest for humans. But if this bird's still there, then we're on the right way. Nice. And... Um... This work, you've done uh, like um, scientific studies on this as well, right? Yeah. And um, it's quite recently now that you were awarded an honorary doctorate. So congratulations to that. And I, I imagine that uh, this was part of the reason why you uh, were given this uh, title as well. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it was my work as a celebrity for, for sustainability, but also that I also published a few mm. scientific papers. It's not so common, I think, by honorary doctors. <laughs> so, uh, but that's nice. But it's it's not a big contribution to the scientific community. <laughs> but it's just a small part. But it's still interesting. From like like you said, from the beginning, it's like it's just weird. Is this important? Why do I do this? But the more I do it, the more important it gets. And now it's like affecting the. The budget of of Sweden, <laughs> because with the new rules from the European Union and so, then it's really important to know which bird species do you have in your forest. What do you have to do to you now when you cut down the trees? What do you have to do to manage this in in a, in a good way? So my research, they they called me just a week ago from the Swedish Forestry Agency and. Yesterday, I had a lawyer who called me <laughs> and asked questions about this, how, how he could use this information in, in his work. So it's been growing, the interest about the, the, the marks that the three-toed woodpecker pecker makes mm. on the trees in, in Sweden. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think the more you delve into this, the more interesting it gets. And uh, even if people in general maybe have, don't have this as their primary interest, I still think it's very... It's very crucial to see how something like this uh, brings about complexity thinking and how the woodpecker and uh, EU law and uh, affects budgets and affects market and affects um, forest owners as well and uh, everyone in between it. Because I think it's really easy sometimes and oftentimes I feel that that was where I myself started with sustainability. Why don't we just put up uh, renewable energy everywhere and then be done with it? Mm. And then when... When I try to find the answers to that question, I find a few more questions. And then it goes on like that. But it allows me to become a better navigator of complex systems. Yeah, um, but if you have the, the main story as a background, mm. then it's easier to navigate. Because when it's too complex, what should we do then? It's so difficult. Mm. But if you have the, the main story about sustainability, where we're heading, what we the aim is in the long run, uh, then it's easier to navigate. Then you can say, okay, 
this is not perfect, but it's better than what we did yesterday. Then it's in the right direction. Mm. But it's hard to make everything perfect at the first try because then it's a big risk that you have a backlash that, okay, we didn't consider this, the, the local community, the workers and everything. It is hard. Mm. For sure. And so, so allow us to understand more about if we take the, the forestry as an example now where, okay, we want to protect uh, nature and biodiversity and we also want to be efficient to, uh, to not harm the sustainable transition. Tell us about, and you're allowed to rant here, um, what, uh, what are some of the issues that you see in terms of what you want to do as a sustainable forest manager? That is difficult. But I think it's not so different. From my perspective, we, we just have to do every step in forest management a little bit better. Then we can preserve biodiversity. We don't have to change the system totally, but we have to be aware of what we do, what species we have in different regions and then different local areas, mm. and just make the right measurements and just to be like if you meet a person. With, with some respect. We cannot just mm. see nature as it doesn't matter because this is, has, has been the common practice in Sweden. But if you just mm. put in some questions and look a little, it will be a, a big difference. And of course, mm. that we have a budget so we can protect the most important areas. So we have this connectivity between important areas. This is also really important. But now it's a, the big debate and on the political landscape, it, it's really, I think it's, it's, mm. so, it's so boring to follow. Mm. And I'm really disappointed because we, mm. we know so much. And we know that we can solve both. But the, the forest industry is really powerful. And now the political landscape is so polarized. So it's hard to make progress. But I think mm. we know what to do. And it's not so revolutionary. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I I totally agree with you. And um, what has been very present within me during this conversation, and also in my discoverable journey uh, since I started delving, delving into this topic of sustainability, is that it is a lot about connection and relationship to yourself to other human beings, to other species, to nature. And I really like how you emphasize, emphasized um, learning and learning about that relationship to uh, your landscape, to nature, other species, and also relationship and connection to story, as you said. Uh, what's my heritage? Where do I come from? And where do I want to go? What, what, what am I aiming towards? So I, I, I hear you talk a lot from that, that perspective of, of connection and relationship to other things beyond yourself. Am I right about that? Yeah, exactly right. Like I said, the things you don't know anything about, it's hard to care about them. Yeah. And uh, exactly. And if if I'm now if I meet a person I know that really religious, okay, mm. I'm not religious, but then I have mm. respect. I just then a little bit more I will be more curious and interested. 
how do you think and what is the main difference and what is similar but if i have never met them i can say ah they are totally stupid they believe in a, a old man up in the mm. in the clouds <laughs> mm. Mm. i think it's a it's a different story if you really meet a person and listen and then you can learn something and understand more and then you would be also nicer to each other I think this with trust is really important and distrust. We can be we can all agree that the trust is better. So in all the navigation you make, if you go to more trust or distrust, then it's mm. I think you should aiming for trying to understand and trust because everybody wants to live in the, this kind of society. When you can leave the door open because somebody perhaps needs something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're not afraid that they come in and kill you or steal it from you. Mm. That's that's a big difference between like Sturuman or the small communities in in the in the far outside here and and the big cities. Now everybody is so afraid; they don't trust each other. They build walls. Now, so I think we can do a lot, and we know what is right, but it's hard to to be consequent and do this every day, all of your life. But then, if you just can focus on the big picture and what is good and bad, then it's easier to navigate. Mm. But if someone come and hit me, I'd probably hit back. <laughs> but I want to understand, why did you hit me? It could be something interesting that I just didn't know. Mm. Mm. Perhaps he had good reasons to hit me. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we round off completely, I want to uh, come back to, you mentioned there um, a bit about having a role as a kind of celebrity in in this transition and i know also from what you wrote in the book that uh, there was a time when your position about not flying and being very open about that drew you into more and more news and people wanted to talk to you about it and kind of becoming a some type of ambassador for for not flying and maybe for um, for flight shame if that's the case and can you just tell us what happened there and uh, I also want to ask like which role do you feel comfortable having as an ambassador for sustainability or such and what what don't you want maybe I was completely afraid when all the big newspapers also in the world New York Times they wanted to come here to the storeroom and follow me on a trip and writing a big essay on my road to sustainability and I was kind of a climate Jesus and an ambassador for the fly chain movement and so on. Mm. I'm not that person. <laughs> mm. Mm. I want to live my life. So this is, then it's better. I, I do what I think is right. And I'm curious about the future. I try to learn more, but I want to live a normal life. Then it's better for me to write a book that you can read and be inspired by. Because mm. if I'm Al Gore, or even Greta, she travel around all the world and, and, and talking and make protests. Mm. It's like, what's that? That's not the real life for me. Where is the friends? Where is the family? Where is the... No, no, it's just, I think I'm afraid of it. Because normally if you think you could have an impact, then you should go into politics or activism or you, try, you should do as much as possible. So sometimes I feel perhaps I could do more. I could have mm. done more. But I'm not sure what is the best way. Perhaps it is important that some celebrities, that they do more than they talk. 
because I feel a lot of trust in this. It's not I'm just talking. I do a lot. <laughs> I think I do more mm. in, in a practical sense. I try more to be hard to myself than to tell others how I think they have to live their life. Mm. But if someone gets inspired by me, if I meet someone on the train, see, it's the first time I go by train. I mean, I'm so inspired by you, Bjorn. That's, mm. that's a good feeling. But it's also a responsibility. I don't know everything. I'm not Jesus. I don't have all the answers. As I'm, I feel that I'm in, in the beginning of my journey. Because like the brain is, it has no limits. And I just know a tiny, tiny little bit of everything. But that's also the answer. What is the... That's like where you have the potential. It's not the people who know everything. <laughs> it's the people who has capacity and know that they know just a little thing. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I think we have a lot to discover and, and I think we can do really a lot. But then we have to frame it in, in, in a better way and have the long-term perspective. So I like a guy like Elon Musk. He's totally crazy. He has this mm. autism diagnosis. You have to respect it. He, he, is, he will say stupid things. Mm. But... Uh, but I still admire him about his passion. He wants to do great things and nothing can stop him. But I'm not Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think you also put put the finger on something there that is really important to find your unique way towards a more sustainable lifestyle or sustainable living or a way of making an impact uh, that you need to follow your own path and way towards that because if you do something that you don't really feel or want then i think that the the energy or the fire will the spark will will not be sustainable or sustained it will it will eventually run out of that energy so yeah, yeah. i think that's because, also uh, very short, important but back to elon musk for example he has like i don't know 10 or 12 kids and mm. seven different companies. Probably he he cannot see them so much. Easier than a good father or something. That's a, if you want to be a guy like Elon Musk, you have to understand that this is not a life to strive for. It's really great that he can do something for humanity. But his mm. own life, you don't want to change. I don't want to change with him. I don't want to change with the like the, the prime ministers or the, even Greta Thunberg. It's like... If you want to have a good, sustainable life by yourself and others can follow your way, then you mm. cannot live this big, big life, travel all around the world and do these great, big mm. things because your own private life is really chaos. Mm. I think that's, that's affect a lot of musicians, pop stars, even mm. sports athletes, mm. politicians. If you look the whole picture of their life, you don't want to change. <laughs> mm, yeah. But many people that dream of, oh, this, oh, if I could be Elon Musk, so smart, or mm. famous president, or this musician. But I'm not sure. If you scratch a little, mm. they're not so happy people. <laughs> I have a better life, <laughs> I'm sure. Mm. Yes, thanks a lot, Bjorn, for uh, bringing many different uh, nuggets into, into this conversation of how on earth can we live together towards a more sustainable living and sustainable society uh, on this on this planet? So I think that you provided many practical 
things that people can take with them towards their own building towards that that vision as well and and again i want to hone in on the the importance of of connection and relationships towards yourself other, other human beings other species and nature uh, i think and to that story that vision i think that's a very important foundation to start at but um, before we before we let you go we also want to ask you our signature question which is what would you like to encourage listeners throughout this decade of action then i would say join a story so then you have this perspective a longer time frame join a story that you think would be a story for a better future and it's easier to make all the decisions in your daily life and also trust is better than distrust join a story focus on trust That would be my advice, because I think it's a good rule today, next week, next year, perhaps next life. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much, Björn. And uh, if uh, listeners feel curious, maybe they want to know more about you, they want to read this book, where would you uh, point them towards? I don't use social media so much, but I have this X account still. (laughs) So... Perhaps there, or I'm easy to find. They can find my email or my phone number. I'm not a secret person. But the best is to read my book, I think. But it's only available in Swedish. All right, Björn, thank you so much for being here and taking your time to, to speak with us. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure to not only see you in the television screen on, um, in the winter, but also to have a long-form conversation like this uh, and to delve deep into topics. So thank you for taking the time. Thanks, my pleasure. Thanks a lot, Björn. Thanks. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Decade Podcast. I would like to ask you to reflect on anything in this episode that impacted you or left an impression that you could take with you in this decade of action. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or in your network on social media and as always feel free to reach out with feedback questions or topics you would like us to cover you can reach us through our social media or on the decade podcast at gmail.com and we hope to see you more further down the road throughout this decade thank you until next time